My name is John Doran. I write about music. Over the history of British Masters, I've had the privilege of talking to a great many music-making outliers and innovators. From Gary Newman to Dizzy Rascal, from Marquis Smith to Viv Albertine, these are heroes one and all. To celebrate the sixth birthday of the series, we've organised something special, British Masters Live. Tonight, I'm interviewing Brett Anderson of Suede, live on stage at the Rio Cinema in London. Suede were one of the few mainstream bands of the 1990s to truly capture the youthful zeitgeist in songs that lionised colourful characters, urban nightlife, heavy drug use and even heavier sex, all over psychedelic glam rock. Suede are now back and as strong as ever. Their new album, The Blue Hour, speaks of that rarest of things, a rock band having a genuine second wind. First of all, Brett Anderson, welcome to British Masters. Thank you very much. Do you identify as British? It depends who I'm talking to, really, I suppose. Um, uh, reluctantly, yes. I don't feel particularly proud to be British. I feel quite European, I suppose. Now that the B word has been brought up, I don't want to get... What, what word's that? Well... British. It's kind of like, I don't want to get too bogged down <laughs> you, in stuff You about, brought it up. I know, man. Yeah, it's really it's sneaky, kind of, yeah, it was, yeah. I don't want to get too bogged down in Britpop stuff, but... Yes. Did you read the not-at-all-spurious uh, opinion piece recently that seemed to blame Brexit on Britpop? Wow. <laughs> no, I didn't read that. It's, uh, I mean, you don't really hear much about Brexit these days, do you? <laughs> What happened to that? I mean, you know, it's a bit of a flash in the pan. I think Britpop is, is to blame for quite a few things, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of Brexit as being one of them. But, you know, yeah, what, so, to, you know, give me a kind of, you know, a, a sort of rundown of that. Um, I didn't read it. I just, no. like, I really might... Yeah, I, I don't Once need... you get past a certain stage in your life, your time just becomes a bit too precious. I know what you mean, you know? yeah. I just read the headlines. There's a scan, read it. Yeah, yeah, Britpop. I was like, yeah, here's a thing that's been designed to make me really angry. Yes. I'm just not going to read it today. Exactly, you know? yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, um, I mean, I, I do think in a very loose background sort of way, Britpop was clearly a symptom of a change in national attitude. You know, the, the, I've got a lot to say about, about Britpop. It seems incredibly dated now. Faintly misogynistic and faintly nationalistic in a way that I don't think would be a, a, allowed to become a, a movement now. All the, all the kind of undertones, you know, the men behaving badly culture, the loaded culture, that sort of thing. Mm. And I think we live in a very, very different time now. I don't think that, that Britpop will be allowed to happen, and, and probably thank God for that, you know. But before it becomes a bloated self-parody, you know, it was a rejection of American cultural imperialism, and it was a kind of... And it was a documentation of the world that we saw around us, or that I saw around me. It was kind of like standing in the doll queue, this sort of thing. So Justin Frischman said something which I really resonated with me, which, you know, whether she meant it 100% or not, she said, when I first saw Brett, I couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl. <laughs> and, you know, in some of the more lumpen areas of the press, you were kind of, like, mocked for this. Maybe yeah. gently, but you were mocked anyway. Yeah, yeah. However, fast forward to 2018, when yes. the ideas of who's, gender fluidity... Who's having the last laugh now, eh? <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I mean, they yeah. swayed were ahead of the time, though, right? Well, I, I can't say that, can I? But thank you, yes. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing. I thought about it a lot. And in a funny sort of way, in, in terms of blurring the lines with sexuality, I was trying to, trying to talk about myself as, a, as an emotional being rather than a sexual being, which is a very a, a real paradox because, because I was using sort of gender terms, think words like bisexual to define that sort of thing. That's right. it's, it's all very confusing for me, actually, what I was trying to do. But I certainly, I certainly wasn't content just to sort of sing from the first person as a sort of like, you know, a heterosexual male. That was kind of like quite dull to me doing that, you know, and I think people got confused by that and people sort of like saw it as sort of like as social tourism and that sort of thing. But um, I, I was sort of singing from, different, from people's perspectives that, that were kind of more marginal in those days. And, uh, you know, under the umbrella of, 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 of quite sort of homophobic, misogynistic kind of undertones and, and, and homophobic undertones, and it was frowned upon in those days. It feels like um, this year is like a particularly good year to be a Swede fan. Not just your memoir, Cold Black Mornings, not just the album, The Blue Hour, but even this week, you know, the documentary, The Insatiable Ones on Sky Arts, which is, you know, an absolute roller coaster rise, yes. uh, the rise and fall and rise again of uh, Suede. Um, I'm guessing that uh, my enjoyment of it was probably slightly different to yours in some respects. Yeah. How was it when you first watched it? Yeah, enjoyment's the wrong word, really. I was sort of like watching it like this through my fingers sort of thing. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's kind of odd because it's, enjoyment is, is exactly the wrong word. But I'm, I'm kind of quite strangely quite proud of it all. It's that, that's something I learned from, from writing Cold Black Mornings is, is, to, is to sort of be proud of your failures as well. I think that's, that's a kind of a key thing. I think there's, there's too much sort of like PR bullshit with bands. Almost like reinvent their, their lives and, and talk about their lives like they've, lived, they've had these perfect careers and brush over their mistakes. And I think it's the mistakes that are kind of the interesting things. And I, I'm kind of quite proud of our mistakes. So we've made quite a few. But I don't think there's anything to, that's anything to, be, anything to be ashamed of. I was really impressed with how frank you were, especially about the kind of darkness that happened after the coming up yeah. um, world tour ended and around the writing of uh, head music. Uh, was it a liberating experience? You know, when I've talked about addiction in, in Afternoons with the Blinds Drawn, it's, it's sort of like I, I'm talking about the broader concepts of addiction. I, I've learned from dealing with the media over the last 25 years, as soon as you use sp- specific words, you know, like certain drugs or whatever, even the word drugs, it just gets blown out of proportion. It takes up so much media space. So it's just about knowing those things. And it's about, it's about waking up the next day and looking at what I've written the day before and thinking, am I happy with that? Can I, can I live with that for the rest of my life? And, and that's a wonderful thing about kind of writing is that you have got that ultimate control. Teetering on that line between, you know, giving too much away but also keeping it interesting. Is, is that's, it's balancing along that line, walking that tightrope. Um, obviously, there's stuff to do with kind of drinking narcotics. I'm not really being tabloidy. I can sort of identify to us. Yes, I've read your I've read your your memoir as well. So yeah, I don't know if anyone's read uh, Jolly Lads. It's 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 very explicit about John's past. Excellent book, by the way. I recommend it. Yeah. Um, one thing that I did think when I was watching the documentary was I kind of felt. Uh, some pain by proxy thinking like, I'm really 
please, I don't have to watch all of this footage of myself being absolutely off my fucking note. Like, try the, the most embarrassing bit for me is watching me sing an a cappella version of head music in a <laughs> in. In, in, in a vocal but it's very very cruel because when you kind of like you know when, when you strip anything down to a cappella, it sounds rubbish I wanted to talk to you very quickly about a new morning oh really and yeah but it was just it, it comes good in the end okay good there's maybe a common misconception about suede which is like head music and a new morning were written in this kind of alcoholic mm. narcotic fog and of course the second album the last album wasn't you know, you'd cleaned up by that point, yeah. didn't you? Yeah. After a while, drugs kind of end up defining you to a certain extent. If you're, if you've like, you know, been taking drugs for a long time, uh, and then suddenly taking them away, you, you're, you're sort of like you're scrabbling around for a new personality. You're, you're scrabbling around for something else that defines you. And I felt that that's what was happening with a new morning. I was kind of struggling to kind of like to, to really define myself. And, uh, I, you know, that's possibly one of the reasons why that album just didn't work, because I, I, I didn't really know what I, who I was, and I didn't really know what, to, what, what I was singing about and what to, what to be reflecting, you know. Splitting up and the whole journey is that when we came back, it reminded us of what we did really well in the first place, and we kind of thought, well, let's try and do that again rather than something else. No, it was really gratifying to see you come back, keeping your edge living a healthy lifestyle, but really reconnecting with this fundamental wrongness that is at the heart of suede. Absolutely. There's always tenebrous corners of life that you can sing about. There's equal worth in, in kind of like small misunderstandings and, 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 uh, and relationships that kind of like dissolve in quiet ruin and these sorts of things, you know. Always searching for things that, that I'm passionate about. You know, the last couple of albums I've written about family because family has become my new obsession in life. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't live a kind of like a riotous life anymore full of kind of like uh, crashing romances and stuff like this. It's, it's not like that. It's much more stable life. But you have to look for where your passions lie. And my passion now is my family. So I, I kind of like, I dwell on the kind of the neurosis of, 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 being, a, of, being, a, of being a family man, you know. And it's just looking for the, for the darkness, and I can kind of find the darkness in anything, really. Do you feel that um, if you had anything to prove since you've been back, that it's now proved? Um, I don't ever feel that there's ever an end point with, with these things, and I, and I always feel as though we have something to prove. There's something about the nature of suede that I never feel as though we're completely sort of accepted. It's not like we're kind of... A, we, we, we've never quite got to that sort of, like, upper, upper, upper echelon. You know, we, when, we, when we're writing, we throw away so much. We never just, we're never just an autopilot. I've learned that's how, that's how we crash and burn when we go on autopilot. We have, to, we have to always be aiming above where we are sort of thing to get to the right place sort of thing. So... Um, yeah, I've always, I always think we've got something to prove. I think that I think, and, and the day that I feel as though we haven't is probably when we when we'll stop. So I, I like to think we always have will have something to prove. And easy for me to say, right? But that's good that you have to struggle, really. And yeah, that, no, it's and great. You're not, you're not afforded the kudos of the red hot chili peppers. Or... Yeah, it's it's fine. I think that I think this I think Sway we sort of provoke quite a lot of cynicism in people. We we always have. From, it's, there's just something in our DNA, you know, those, from those very early days when 
the press, half the press absolutely loved us and half the press absolutely hated us. And, uh, and it, uh, we, we, we do polarise people and we continue to polarise people's point of view as well. And I think that's, I think that's a really good thing, isn't it? It's yeah, kind of, you know, yeah. it's, it's extreme feelings. It's, it's surely that's a good thing, you know. What I'm really curious about is um, your current songwriting um, process and I'm mean, going to guess a good way of looking at this would be to take the album opener as one. Yes. Which is, you know, I, for my money, it's like the most, it's the strongest album opener you've ever written. When, when we were mixing it and I overheard Alan Mulder talking to his, his wife on the phone and, we, and he said, yeah, I've just been working on this song. It sounds as, it, it's the sound of the devil taking over the world. <laughs> this would be a good point to uh, talk to you about the non-musical influences on the Blue Hour. Yeah, I'm always kind of like, I, that's the way I work. I, I, just, I just use little snippets. There's, there's bits and pieces from, from poetry that I throw in there. There's, there's a little bit of, bits of D.H. Lawrence and things like that. I just, I'm, I'm a bit of a magpie. I think lots of writers are. That's, just, that's the, way they, the way they write. I, I, have these, I have notebooks. And when I'm reading, which I do a lot of, I, if I like a phrase, I just steal it. And, and <laughs> hopefully no one's kind of going to sue me about it. I'm sure, I'm sure one day it'll happen, you know. I think Cold Black Mornings I stole from, from a newspaper and I don't, I don't really know who wrote it in the first place but it's just, it's, it seemed nice and, and, and that's what I do. I just I, I nick little snippets of things. I, I know that the kind of, the boy who's lost in the album, it's you rather than your son. Yeah. Um, well it's both of us and it's... Did you ever get lost as a kid? Did I ever get lost? I mean, properly. I remember being in Aberystwyth and my grandma was supposed to be looking at me and she was stealing cuttings of flowers out of someone's garden. I just wandered off. Yeah. And, like, there was this couple trying to get me into their car. And I was, oh, like, God. fucking seven or something. And, like, that was... I remember it was, like, like terrifying. God. Have you, did you ever get... No, I didn't have any of a nearness <laughs> like that. And I, ne- I never went to Aberystwyth, obviously. <laughs> Obviously, what happens in Aberystwyth? God, I'd stay steer clear of that place. Yeah. I won't be moving to Aberystwyth for any time soon. No. I wanted to ask you, when was the last time you prayed? And I don't mean casually prayed. I mean properly, hands together. Dear God, you have to unfuck this situation really quickly, or whatever. You know, properly say any prayers. God, that's a really interesting question, and one I haven't ever been answered. I probably when I was about eleven or something. You know. What was it for? I can't remember. Kind of Eagle Eye Action Man. Getting in trouble. I, there's a thing in my, in my, in my, in my um, book where, where, where I, me and a friend of mine wrote a list of imaginary tortures for all the teachers and, and, and we wrote it down in kind of this gory kind of like detail and, and, and one of the teachers got a hold of it and it was just the most embarrassing thing, you know. Hang them from, from their hair by a helicopter, this sort of thing. <laughs> you know? This kind of gory medieval tortures, you know, and... That's probably the last time I prayed, you know, please let this kind of thing not fall into the wrong hands, you know. So. Uh, you can see some of the roots of suede in that little notebook. Absolutely. Maybe. It's, you know, I, yes, I'm still, still, hopefully it's not going to appear in the Daily Star or anything, you know. <laughs> hopefully it's been destroyed. And when was the last time where you genuinely thought, uh, I'm not going to get out of this situation alive? Oh, well, I had a car crash about in, in the summer, which was terrifying. Um, uh, re- genuinely terrifying 
Um, me and my wife were driving in the countryside and we were driving around a bend and a car smashed into us. And uh, it was a terrifying, terrifying moment. I, uh, um, uh, uh, all the, 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 the kind of, the, the front of the car buckled. I had to drag her to the curb and I was hor- hor- genuinely horrific. I thought we were going to die. It was a, hor- a horrific, horrific moment. Um, but we didn't, we survived. Very glad to hear it. Genuinely horrific. That's, that's, the, that's the most scared I've been about kind of, you know, dying since I was, God, a long time, yeah. For decades. Can't watch those countryside roads, right? Uh-uh. Got to watch those countryside roads. You really have, yes. Yeah, they were pretty scary. Uh, thanks very much, Brett Anderson. <laughs> Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 